let's talk. Okay, is that better? That, I don't normally sound like that. <laughs> well, it's such a pleasure to be here. It's great to be in the house of the Lord. And it's great to be in Bloomington Bible Church that I've heard so much about. At Trinity Reformed Church, we've heard a lot about Pastor Nip and about what he's been doing and his vision, his labor, and heard about the faith of your church and your purity that you desire to be in the Word, that you desire to be faithful, and that you desire to love Bloomington and to love other Christians in here. And so it's great to be here. I did get to know the men in your church this week weekend at the men's retreat, and I will tell you that they did beat us in dodgeball. Um, and so it's with great humiliation that I come here today. Uh, thank you for letting me preach here. So actually, I'm going to be preaching on what the songs were about. The second song, How Blessed is the Man Whose Transgressions Have Been Forgiven. I'm going to be preaching on the third one, The Lord is My Salvation. And the fourth song, All Glory Be to God Our King. So I'm going to be preaching on Mark 2, verses 1 through 11, or 12, which is the story of Jesus, or the account, I should say, of Jesus healing the paralytic. Specifically, I'm going to be preaching on verse 10 when Jesus says, but so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So let's start by reading together from Scripture. This is God's word and it is eternally true. When he had come back to Capernaum several days afterward, it was heard that he was at home. And many were gathered together, so that there was no longer room, not even near the door. And he was speaking the word to them. And they came, bringing to him a paralytic, carried by four men. Being unable to get, him, get to him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had dug an opening, they let down the pallet on which the paralytic was lying. And Jesus, seeing their faith, said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. But some of the scribes were sitting there and reasoning in their hearts, why does this man speak that way? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus, aware in his spirit that they were reasoning that way within themselves, said to them, why are you reasoning about these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and pick up your pallet and walk, but so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, get up, pick up your pallet, and go. Go home. And he got up and immediately picked up the pallet and went out in the sight of everyone, so that they were all amazed and were glorifying God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. So, this is at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. He was baptized by John the Baptist, and then he goes about. He calls his disciples. He calls Peter and, let's see, Peter and Andrew, James and John, by the Sea of Galilee to come follow him. And he begins to preach the word of God in Capernaum, where he was staying with Peter's mother-in-law, and in Galilee. He's going out. He's preaching. He's healing people. He cast out a demon from a man. 
He cured another of leprosy. He's proclaiming the word of God. And people see that there is power in this man. That he speaks with authority. Unlike the scribes and the Pharisees. The teachers of the Jews at that time. They, people, the people are seeing there is something about this man. And so he's gathering a crowd. People are, people are following him. They want to see what is going on. So, at the beginning of our text today, Jesus came back to Capernaum where he was likely staying with Peter's mother-in-law. And he's preaching in the house. And it says that the house is packed. It's full of people. There's not even room by the door. Okay? So this is people, uh, and they're going to be there for various reasons. Some of them really desire to hear the word of God. Others want to see a spectacle. Others have illness that they want to be healed from. Others want to see Jesus uh, um, pwn the teachers. To, uh, that is to, um, you know, anyway. This is before Netflix, so they had to do something to entertain themselves. So anyway, all of them are here, and they're listening to Jesus. And what is he doing? He's speaking the word to them. The word the king, of the kingdom of God. Okay. So at this point, four men come carrying a paralytic man who can't walk, and they're trying to get in. Okay, why do they want to get in? This man wants to be healed, but there's no way to get in because it's packed. So what do they do? They climb up on the roof and commit criminal mischief. They, they dig through the roof. Like, just picture that. It's probably straw or something, but still, they're breaking into this woman's house as Jesus is preaching below. And they lower the paralytic on a pallet down into the middle of his preaching. Now, if that happened to me right now, I would probably not handle that well. But Jesus handles it very well. He doesn't say, you know, excuse me, sir, can you please leave? I'm preaching here. Or he doesn't say, you know, come back after the sermon and I'll... I'll get to you. The man comes down, and seeing their faith, it says, he says to the man, the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. Now, I don't think he came there to be forgiven of his sins. He came because he was a paralytic and he needed to be healed. But he had the faith to say, this man has what I need. Come hell or high water, I'm going there. So let's take stock of this. We have the packed house. We have Jesus preaching. We have a man being lowered from the ceiling through a hole in the, the ceiling. And then we have Jesus say that he, can, that he forgives this man's sins. Now, those are pretty revolutionary words for this time because at, up until then, sin was not forgiven by a man like that. Sin was forgiven through sacrifices, blood sacrifice in the temple. And so his statement here has a lot of weight. And the people who heard it knew that. So, watching all this scene were the scribes. These are the, the learned men of Israel. They're the ones that trace their roots back to Ezra in like the 5th century BC, who, was, who brought the Jews back from Babylon and who was in charge of teaching the Israelites the word of God. So these men are very smart, very knowledgeable. 
Some of them may be godly, but there may be a lot who aren't. And they're sitting there, and they're watching, and they're thinking. In their hearts, it says, it says, they were reasoning in their hearts. Why does this man speak that way? Talking about Jesus. He's blaspheming. That means, who can forgive sins but God alone? They're saying, this man's calling himself God. How dare he? But remember, they're saying it in their hearts. Okay? So Jesus, what does it say? Aware in his spirit that they were reasoning that way within themselves. Okay? He read their minds. He says, what does he say? He answers and says, why are you reasoning these things? Which is easier to say to the paralytic? Your sins are forgiven or get up and pick up your pallet and walk. So he's saying, look, what's harder? I think he's saying forgiveness of sins is harder, but I don't know. Either way, he's saying, I can say both of these things, and in fact, I'm going to say both of these things. And then he says, but so that you may know. So he's saying, I said your sins are forgiven so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Okay? He tells the man to pick up his pallet and walk, and what does he do? Man gets up, picks up his pallet, and just walks, and just leaves, okay? This is just incredible. Everyone there saw this, and they were amazed, and they glorified God. Everyone. I believe that means the scribes, too. And they said, we have never seen anything like this. <sighs> Brothers and sisters, this is really powerful stuff. And what I, wanna, what I think is the most important part of this is what Jesus says his reason was which is he says, this is so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So the first explicit point is that Jesus has the power to forgive sins. The second point is that what is implied by Jesus' statement is that he is, in fact, God. I think both of these points should encourage us and I'll open them up and I'll let you know why you should love this verse. The first point is that Jesus forgives sins. And for American Christians, at least for me when I heard that, I didn't even want to talk about it. Because I said, okay, everyone knows that Jesus forgives sins. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We all know it. There's bumper stickers that say it, you know, yeah, Jesus saves. Uh, yeah, that's what, I hear it every day at church. Okay. And on top of that, as Americans, we have systematically tried to um, blind ourselves to the knowledge of sin and the holiness of God. We don't have sin anymore. We have mental illness. Right? We don't have duties to God and to our to fellow man. We have uh, personal freedom. We don't have obligations about our sex and what we do with our bodies. And in this kind of culture, we don't really feel the weight of sin. So yeah, we believe that Jesus forgives sins, but we don't think about it. But that wasn't the case with the Jews who heard this statement. They, were, they knew very, very well what sin was, they knew about their sins, and they knew about how, what they had to do, the process of being forgiven of sin. They had been given the Mosaic Law. 
which was God's mercy to them. And it told them all of these things, all the sins, um, all the issues of purity, and how to be forgiven. And how were you forgiven at that time? Blood sacrifice in the temple. So all Israelites had to offer blood sacrifice. The priests were the ones that slaughtered the animals. Rams, sheep, goats, pigeons, bulls, all of these, there was a riot of blood. And that was the only way that they could be forgiven. Now, this goes back even farther because it goes back to Adam's rebellion at the beginning. What is sin to begin with? Well, when, we, when Adam and Eve rebelled against God by eating from the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, this was in disobedience to God, and he kicked us out of the garden. He cursed man, and he said, from now on, you're going to die. And not only that, but we know that we've been damned to hell for our sin. And in fact, we know that there is no turning back. There is absolutely no way that we can be forgiven. Except God said this promise. They said, I'm going to send this, a seed through the woman who's going to crush the serpent. So we have at the very beginning this mercy of God. that He says that, yeah, yeah, you're all going to die except for some of you and I'm going to forgive you. I'm going to save you through this seed. So God then destroyed the world through, uh, at the time of Noah through the flood, but saved the remnant in Noah. And then people start populating the earth again. God comes to Abraham, makes a covenant with Abraham. He's then the God of Abraham. He's the God of Isaac. He's the God of Jacob. He's the God of Joseph in Egypt. He blesses the Jews in Egypt. They're subjugated. He then raises up Moses, the leader of the Jews, and delivers them from Egypt. At which point he gives them the law in, in the, the desert. And at which point he talks about the sacrificial system. So this is the Jews. And God has promised them that there's going to be salvation and that there's at least a way that they can be forgiven through the blood. Outside of that, for the Gentiles, there's still no hope. Outside of the covenant of God at this time, the Gentiles are living, worship, subjugated to their gods, offering sacrifices that have no avail. Damned. So in this scene, in this setup, we have Jesus saying, I can forgive sins. And then as if to prove it, the man gets up and walks. This is a radical statement. The paralytic knew he had a need. He knew his weakness. And he came to Jesus. And nothing would stop him. We should be the same way. We need to come to Jesus as if our life depends on it, because in fact, it does. Now, for us today, we can't go to Peter's mother-in-law's house in Capernaum to see Jesus. We come to him through prayer, 
And so we need to, first of all, come to Jesus in prayer and repent. But there's more. It says in James 5 that we need to confess our sins to one another so that we may be healed. So this is an encouragement to you to confess your sins out loud to your pastors, to your elders, to your brothers. It says, so that you may be healed. Confess your sins to one another. Now, I'm not saying that we're Roman Catholics. I'm not saying that every single sin you have to confess or else you're going to hell. That's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is that this is a commandment of the Bible. And the fact is, if we say, if we hold on to sins in our heart, and we say we've confessed them to Jesus, but we haven't confessed them to our brothers, there are some sins that that is not confessing. There are some sins that when your spirit tells you, you need to confess this, you need to listen to that. So, I'll tell you a story, which is a couple years ago, I was struggling with a sin. And it was a battle. And I kept on not having victory. And I really, really, really didn't want to confess it. I confessed it to God, but I didn't really want to tell a pastor about it. And it got to a certain point where in my spirit, I believe the Holy Spirit told me, if you don't confess this, you are giving up the faith. If you don't confess, you're going to be a liar. You can go to church. You can look good. You can look like you're doing the part, but you're empty inside. And so I just sat there, and I saw my life before me, one of repentance and one of concealment. And I actually struggled with it for a while. Well, which one do I want? Do I want to look good and be damned to hell? Or do I want to risk my reputation, risk people liking me, and confess? And so by God's mercy, he gave me the strength to confess. So I scraped myself off the ground, and I, I called my pastor, and I said, hey, I need, to, I need to talk to you about something. And... What happened? I'm still here today. I confessed to my pastor, and it was the sweetest thing. To have, to have, he prayed with me. He gave me assurance of my forgiveness. And I, like the paralytic, I got up and walked. Okay? So this is my encouragement to you, is to do the same. How blessed is the man whose transgressions are forgiven. This is such a sweet thing. Um... So I encourage you to do that. Don't be ashamed. Be ashamed of your sin, but know that this is where we come for forgiveness is to our brothers, to the church. Um, and then there's the warning that if you don't do that and if you conceal your sin, there's, it says that there's no more sacrifice. Hebrews 10 says this. Let's see. If we go on, if we, if we deliberately go on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth, 
no further sacrifice for sin remains, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume all adversaries. This is serious. Let the joy of Jesus' forgiveness draw you, but let the fear of knowing what happens if you don't. Don't be the one that looked on as the paralytic was healed, but wasn't himself healed. Now the second point is, so that's forgiveness. So we have great forgiveness. The second point is that Jesus here is saying that he is God. The Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Okay, first thing, is it so weird for a man to be God? Okay, let's, I want, is it weird for a man to be God? Let's see some hands. Any hands? For, is it weird for a man to be God? Okay. Is, are there any hands for it's not weird for a man to be God? Okay, I see like a couple fingers. From, from, why, why do you say that? Father, he said God's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Yes, the Son, right? So, actually, would it surprise you if I told you that God appears in the flesh in the Old Testament to, like, all of the patriarchs? How does he do that? We call it the pre-incarnate Son. As the angel of the Lord, God appeared in flesh to... Adam, to Abraham, to Jacob, to Hagar, to um, Gideon, to the sons of Sam, uh, Samson, and the parents of Samson. The angel of the Lord is in fact God himself. How do we know that? Because when it talks about this angel, what it says, the angel of the Lord said to so-and-so. Then the so-and-so says to the angel of the Lord something, and then it says, God said to the man, so, such and such. So it actually talks about the angel of the Lord and God in the same section as interchangeable. God appeared. And how did people respond? When they responded, they said, I have seen God. That's what it says. When, when the parents of Samson saw this angel of the Lord, let's see if I can find it. If I can't, you're going to have to take my word for it. They said, we will surely die, for we have seen God. This is what they said. So if you had eyes to see, if you were a scribe and you actually had eyes to see, or if you knew the Old Testament, you would know that actually it's not so crazy for a man to, to be God, because in fact the angel of the Lord came all the time. Okay, so the first thing. In this statement, there are two ways that we know that Jesus is saying he's God. The first one is admitted by the scribes themselves. They say, he's saying he's God. So the ones learned in the scriptures are saying, he's saying he's God, because he's saying he can forgive sins, and only God can forgive sins. Okay, So that is a trustworthy statement. Uh, I'm a criminal defense attorney, and they say that whenever you're, on, um, when you're ever in court, you always want to get whatever facts you can out of the opponent's witnesses because they have no reason to help you out. If, if, if your client's mother, you call her to the stand, and she says, oh, Johnny would never, never, he would never rob a bank. Okay, the jury might not believe that, but if you get Johnny's ex-girlfriend to say, well, you know, I mean, he's kind of a jerk, but I don't think he'd ever really, you know, rob a bank, that 
is a lot better for you. Um, you know, Johnny never had a gun, did he? No. Uh, Johnny never talked about um, committing any criminal acts. Well, no. Um, that kind of thing. So the scribes themselves who were out to get Jesus said he's called himself God. Here we have it. The second part is Jesus calls himself the Son of Man. Who here is confident and who knows what the Son of Man is? Oh, I see, uh, I see a hand. I see my teacher back there is raising his hand. That's good. Um, okay, so I was raised Jewish, and um, we're pretty monotheistic, and we really don't like the fact that Jesus is God. We don't like Jesus at all. Um, but if we do, we'll say he's a prophet, uh, but we really don't want to say that. And I, I even as a Christian would be like, well, he's definitely the Messiah. Check. But this God thing is, makes me uncomfortable, so I just kind of skirt by it. Um, and so whenever I read that Jesus says he's the son of man, it made me depressed because I, here I see what looks like him saying, I'm a man. I'm a man, I'm a son of man. And I'm thinking, shoot, I thought he was supposed to be the son of God, you know, and, or God, you know. Um, but luckily that's not what he's saying. So he doesn't say that he's a son of man. In fact, son of man is just a word for man. It just means son of Adam. And so to say that you're a son of man just means you're a son of man. But he doesn't say that. He says, I'm the son of man. So, Josh, where, what is, where does that come from? Vision in Daniel. Let's, let's read this together. This is Daniel 7. Uh, 13 through 14. This is the prophet Daniel when he was up in captivity having a vision. I kept looking into the night visions and behold, with the clouds of heaven, one like a son of man was coming. And he came up to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom that all the peoples, nations, and men of every language might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away. And his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. So this is the vision that Daniel saw. And this plus other prophecies and promises of the Old Testament pointed to this one who was going to come, who was going to have dominion. He was going to be on the, from, from, the, from the line of David, right? The Davidic rule. He was going to come, and he was going to have dominion and honor and glory. He was going to have a kingdom that would never pass away. And so the Jews, from the time of David, on, uh, David and then Daniel on, they were waiting for this, this man to come and to set up shop and set up rule on earth. So a lot of things happened between David, between Daniel, and between Jesus. Okay, we had the glorious reign of David and Solomon, and then it just all went to pot. We have the captivity. The Jews were all taken away and just totally humiliated. And in the midst of that, we have this vision. Then the Jews are brought back to the land, some of them, 
but they don't come back to a glorious kingdom. They come back to subjugation. The, uh, the Greeks or the Macedonians rule them for a while. Uh, they have some rebellions. Um, they kind of leave, and then the Romans come in, and they subjugate the people. And so it didn't look very good. But then again, now we have Jesus. And kind of like when he says, but so that you know that the Son of Man has authority, I want you to just, I want you to think like thunder and lightning and fireworks and like, this is the guy. He's saying he is this man. The Son of Man with authority and dominion. Now, the Son of Man is not just a man. It says he's like the Son of Man, but it says that he's going to have an eternal kingdom. Okay, No man has an eternal kingdom. It says that all nations are going to serve him. No mere man has everyone serve him. It says he's going to have the glory. Now, we don't really get the glory here, even the best of us. This Son of Man is, in fact, the Messiah, which is not just a man, but is the God-man. So this is what Jesus is saying. He's saying, I'm the God-man, the Messiah. I'm the, I'm the God because I forgive sins. And this knowledge should be a blessing to us. It should be a comfort to us. And let me talk about why. Well, the first thing I want to say is uh, we need to know the Old Testament, brothers and sisters. If you don't know the Old Testament, you're not going to pick up on these things. We learn about sin. From the Old Testament, we learn about sin. We learn about forgiveness. We learn about the Messiah. We learn about the Son of Man. We learn about Adam and Eve. All these things come from the Old Testament. It is a big mistake to say, well, we're living in the New Covenant age. I think new is in the, is in the word for the Bible, for the New Testament, so I don't need the old. The fact is we need the Old Testament scriptures because these uh, inform the context by which we read the New Testament. Um, and so many heresies come out of the fact that people misinterpret the New Testament or even just deny the, the relevance of the Old Testament. So know it. Love it. It is God's word. It is profitable for, was it teaching, rebuking? This is, uh, was it Timothy, 2 Timothy 3? Um, these scriptures are what it's talking about there. Now, secondly, I want you to, when you're, when you're evangelizing or doing apologetics, you can point to a place where Jesus says, I'm God. Jesus never says, I'm God, those words, done. But he practically says it in a lot of places, including this one. So when people say, well, Jesus never said he was God, or, well, you know, Jesus was a good prophet, but that's it. You can say, you can open up to Mark 2, 10, and you can say, well, let's look at this and let's think about what this means. And you can have confidence to, to know that why you believe that Jesus is God. That's here. Now, another point is, we can take confidence that Jesus is a strong God. A lot of, you know, people, people make Jesus out to be a hippie, or, you know, or the nice prophet, or... Or even a failed prophet who said, well, he died. But we can see from this that Jesus is strong and that we can, we can hold on to him and that we can take, uh, we can take refuge in him. It, because what do we see? We see, first of all, Jesus' actions here, that he handles the situation with his paralytic with, with um, equanimity, 
that he, he silences the scribes, that he reads minds, that he heals people, that he... Okay, then he went to die, but wait. He raised from the dead. Wait. Everyone's freaking out because he is... They thought he's gone. Boom. He comes back and talks to them. And he says, hey, I'm here. I'm risen. Boom. Goes up to heaven, seated at the right hand of God. And what do we know from Daniel? It says that he has glory and a kingdom and an everlasting dominion and that all nations are going to serve him. So this is the God who we're dealing with. This is the Jesus who we see. We see him sometimes in weak moments in the, in the Bible. We see him um, being put to death. And we see him in a form which is not the form that he is in now. And we see Jesus in a time where his kingdom is not yet come in the fullest sense. But when we look at this text and we see that he's the son of man, we know that he is truly a king. And we can have confidence. And so that should, one, make us feel safe. Because he's our king and he's a good king. He has power to protect us. And two, it should make us have the zeal for his kingdom to do what he asks of us and to finish the race strong because we know what we have to look forward to with this kingdom. And it should also make us more zealous in witnessing to others because when we see that we have the king of the universe that we want to tell people about, we want to tell about Jesus, he's the king. He's not just the king of my heart. He's the king of the whole world. He's the king of Bloomington. He's the king of IU campus. And so he's your king. You know, when you're talking to someone, you can say, this is the king. Come listen to that. And to me, that sounds way better than, well, you know, take it or leave it, but it's pretty good news. This is really good news. He's the king, and I want to hear about it, and I think everyone else wants to hear about it, and everyone should want to hear about it. Um, and then finally, the last point I want to make is we need to fear the Lord. We need to fear Jesus. That if he's really a king, like he says he is, we can't disobey him. Okay? So, when you're thinking about sinning, think about the king. Think about his kingdom. And let that turn you away from stray. If we think that we can just have Jesus on the weekends and we can do what we want on the weekdays, we're dead wrong. If you don't think that you're owned by the king, you need to change your thoughts. It says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. This is actually true. Now, in the reform circles, there's, there are people that want to say, well, fear just means reverence. Well, the word happens to be the same thing in Hebrew. Okay, so that should tell you something about the word fear and reverence. Fear is reverence. You actually have to fear the Lord. You, you don't just say it, and it's not something that you just do before you're a Christian. But as you're a Christian, you fear the Lord, because he's your king. And you fear a king, and you reverence a king. So, let the comfort of the Lord fill you with joy. Let the fear of the Lord 
keep you on the narrow path, and let this be a let this verse be a joy to you as you go through your life to remember it and to share it with others, to pull back the curtains and let God's radiance come down. That's what this verse shows that Jesus, He's here where we go for forgiveness. No longer do we have to go about in darkness. No longer do we have to go about with blood sacrifice. But we come to Jesus and he forgives fully. And Jesus is God. He's a king. He's coming back with glory to reign. We will all be subjugated to his subjects. And we should call others to know that and to repent and to turn to him. Well, that's what I have for you, brothers. So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your church and uh, for the washing with the word. We thank you for Jesus, your son, who you sent to the earth, who is the son of man, that is the king. That he has power to forgive sins, and he does graciously. Father, we now think about all of our sins. We have so many sins. And we just ask that you would we repent of them now, and we ask that you would draw us to you. Every sin that we've concealed, would you bring it to light? And help us to do that joyfully, willingly now. Give us the courage to do that. Let it not be that on the day of judgment our sins come up. Because they will come to light. Let us bring them now to you. Bow before your throne and receive forgiveness. Father, we do pray that we would be confident in your kingdom, confident in Jesus' divinity, um, and that we would follow you with a whole heart and call others to do the same. We pray this in the precious name of Jesus, the Messiah. Amen. You, uh...